Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. This morning I read, uh, beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 6. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take, the speck that is, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and not do what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, but it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. I want to start by asking you, as you look at what I have in my hand, who knows what this is? How many of you know what it is? It's a photo album. It's a photo album. For the young people in the room, this is what iCloud and Google Photo and Instagram have replaced. And this particular photo album is straight out of 1984, and it's one that is all about me. It has all my cute baby and toddler pictures in it. And I would remind you, if if you have heard me say this before, that in the last few years, I came to know with certainty that I had been adopted by my parents. And while there were specific events that made this information certain to me, it was actually this photo album that gave me the first suspicion that I was adopted when I was about 11 or 12 years of age. In the very front is a picture of a sonogram, and the pages that follow are pictures of me from when I was about three months of age. And it's probably nothing too suspicious in and of itself, when I compared my album against my brother's, which is very similar, I discovered that, well, his had more pictures than mine, like pictures of him from his delivery room. And it made me do a double take comparing mine against his. And I'll tell you, I even got a little jealous. So I flipped through all the pages of my album thinking that maybe my pictures were just not in order. So I went all the way from cover to cover looking. I even looked outside the album at all the other places that I knew that my parents kept photos 
but none of them had any depiction of an eight-pound, six-ounce little baby Dan. And after all my searching, that didn't, that, that didn't get me anywhere. I had both my album and my brother's album side by side open to the first page that has our sonogram photos on it. And I was just staring at mine, and then I'd go back and I'd stare at his. And it occurred to me in going this back and forth that the pose that the baby is striking in the sonogram picture in my album is the exact same pose that the baby is striking in his album. Now, I was young. I didn't know a thing about babies, but I did know that it is not common for lightning to strike in the same place twice. And so most frighteningly, I thought that maybe something was different about me. Nothing about this seemed right. And what made matters worse was that when I asked my parents about my missing newborn pictures, they told me, they, they tried to excuse it, they tell me that they were lost in a basement flood. And that might seem like a reasonable explanation for the missing photos, but I knew that it wasn't true. Because remember, I knew it wasn't true because I had done all that searching of all the piles of pictures my parents had, and I knew they had a million that were older than me. Wasn't any way that mine, that for just those first three months, that only mine were the ones that had gone missing. But apparently, those were the only ones damaged in the basement flood. And I'd be exaggerating if I told you this morning that the realization that my parents lied to me sent me into some sort of tailspin. I did ask those deep, self-searching questions from time to time, like, well, who am I? I did ask, well, where am I really from? But for some reason, I never got weighed down by those questions. Most of the time, what I did was actually buy into the lie that my parents had spun. I ignored the reality that I didn't look like, neither did I act like any, anyone else in my family. But do you know what I could never do? I could never actually believe that the sonogram in my album was me. And it occurs to me that the way we most often use pictures today is to actually hide the truth, right? I mean, take the guy on the overhead screen who's taking a selfie. I don't know who he is. He just comes from the software I use, so it's a stock photo. But he's taking a selfie maybe to post it on his Facebook or his Instagram. And you see on it, he's got that ear-to-ear -ear smile that wants us to believe that everything in his life is so heavenly. But we don't know what he's actually dealing with in life, do we? I mean, he could, in that post, he could be making an attempt to show everyone that he's doing well. All the while trying to mask his real feelings about a terrible medical diagnosis. Or he's posting this to cover up his depression from the end of a relationship that he once thought would go the distance. It makes me wonder. If we most often use pictures to convince others, or even to convince ourselves of something that's not true, I have to wonder, can pictures ever tell the truth? And pictures ever tell the truth? Let's hold on to that question for a moment and let's remind ourselves of where we've been because now we have arrived at the last message in our series that we've called Living Differently. And since we've started in chapter 6 of Luke, we've seen Jesus taking steps to prepare for and to launch his ministry. We saw Jesus declare that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what we did in that first message. 
And if we understand who Jesus is, then we have come to understand that Jesus is the lawgiver himself. And with respect to the subject of Sabbath, we learn that Sabbath rest is a gift from God given for our good. It's been commanded to us by God to observe and not to just treat like it's a speed limit sign on 35 that is just a suggested number. We obey it. Following this, we saw that well, while he never stopped being God, Jesus was very much human and that Jesus would retreat to be alone with his father for solitude and prayer. And Luke recorded for us that in silence, Jesus heard the Father leading him to call a certain 12 men to be apostles out of the group of disciples who had been following him. These apostles will serve Jesus' kingdom as heralds or as announcers of the kingdom that, that has arrived and is arriving in Christ. Then Jesus told us how when we become citizens of his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, then our understanding about things like wealth and comfort and popularity and fun, those understandings of them are flipped right on their head. And we're led to see that as king of the kingdom of God, Jesus calls sinners to become citizens of this kingdom. And in so doing, he does a marvelous work of transforming hearts so that our passions and our lives honor him as they start to look less and less like how this world works. And then coming to last week, this transformed life that Jesus has been preaching about in the Sermon on the Plain is stretched beyond just how we relate personally to things. And if what Jesus had said wasn't difficult enough, he shares that in his kingdom, the way his citizens live with and relate not only to things, but to other people will be absolutely changed too. He told us that, that liking and loving and doing for people who we can tolerate, everyone in the world does that. Even amongst the people who've rejected God. It's true that a godless person can still work in a soup kitchen. A godless person can lend their tools to their friends. But it is a citizen of God's kingdom who was given a supernatural ability to love even their enemies. To serve the need of those people who would steal from us or strike us. Because as the people of God, we've come to understand that we were once enemies of God ourselves. And yet God loved us sacrificially. See, God in the person of Jesus Christ added to himself humanity. Not only by humbling himself to add humanity to his existence, but, be hum but, but he humbled himself by taking the place of the enemies of God. That's the essence of what, Paul, what the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi in that wonderful Christ hymn that's found in, in Philippians chapter 2. Where specifically, he tells the Philippians that being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we concluded then as, that as citizens of God's kingdom, Jesus is calling for the lives of his followers to be marked by the same sacrificial love shown in the cross of Jesus himself, where we who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, consider it a great joy to join our Savior in the fellowship of his sufferings, even as we serve the worst of our enemies. 
And whether you've heard all of the four previous messages or not, you've got to admit that as you look over the bottom lines of each of these, these are incredibly challenging to either believe or to live out. There may be skeptics amongst us who might dismiss the idea that there's even a God, let alone a God who loves his creation so much that he does not demand that his creation, you and I, work to earn his love. It may be beyond comprehension that in the hurried pace of life, that there would even be a suggestion of slowing down to get into the quiet and to listen for God's voice because, well, that sounds so unreal to people like you and me with brains, right? Surely there are more productive things that we could be doing. That's what we tell ourselves. Like maybe seeking to satisfy ourselves as we chase our dreams. Not buying into this idea that a person we've never seen in the flesh would provide to us a completely satisfying life. Whether you have material possession or not. And just forget about that loving enemies and and forgiving and not judging stuff. Maybe someone thinks all of this is dumb as you think about it. Maybe it just sounds weak. Maybe some of you have heard all four of the messages and realize that when you try to put this thing together and you assemble the four subjects, well, living this out, it's next to impossible. And imagine with us in this moment, the souls who are hearing this from the lips of Jesus, they're not listening to it over four weeks. I mean, I've seen some of the reactions on your faces over the last few weeks, and I know this has been challenging stuff to chew on. But imagine hearing all of this in just one sitting. I know Jesus is well aware of how incredibly otherworldly his kingdom is and how otherworldly lives that live for him will look to this world. I know Jesus is aware of how radical all of this sounds. So that's why he ends this sermon in this way. With, if you will life-changing pictures that when you begin to envision yourself in them, the pictures that are produced cannot contain anything but truth about you and me. And these pictures will each in their own way also answer how everything that we might think now is impossible. These things that came before this text in this chapter, how they actually come to be a possibility. And we look at the first picture that Jesus paints by the words where he asks in verse 39, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? I think we can sort of understand a little what Jesus is saying, right? I mean, certainly if a blind person follows another blind person, there's a great risk to the both of those people due to their disability, that they won't see what's coming their way, and that they, would, that they could fall into a pit, they could trip over a curb stop, or whatever would endanger someone with vision impairment. I think we can get that in a, in, in a conceptual sense in that way. But Jesus isn't actually talking about vision impairment here. That's why Luke introduces these questions as a parable for us to help us understand that Jesus is illustrating a point. All that Jesus has been preaching about in this chapter, it brings into focus things that are internal to us. They're matters for our hearts. They're spiritual matters. So what what is the point then of what Jesus is, what's the point that Jesus is making? 
blind leading blind and, and the dangers, will they not fall into a pit? What's, what's the point he's making? Well, he's not making a point. He's giving a warning. The warning's this. Watch who you follow. Watch who you follow. And the warning cuts two different ways. The first way is to say that everyone follows someone on spiritual matters. It's the first way it cuts. Every one of us is following someone else in spiritual matters. Okay, And the second way it cuts is this. Is that if you're trying to lead yourself, if, if the someone you're leading is or following is your own self, and then you're trying to lead others spiritually, my friend, you're in danger. You're in significant danger. It's Jesus who will go to a cross and die as an enemy of this kingdom that he's proclaiming, even though he is its king, and even though he is innocent. But he does so so that when sinners come to him in faith, they can receive his righteousness. Or saying that another way, they receive Christ's own right standing so that they can be restored to the Father who is in heaven. And the warning is that if you think that you yourself can make yourself right before God, my friend, then your arrogance will lead yourself to hell. You lead yourself there. God doesn't send people to hell. You lead yourself there. Watch who you follow. That's the first warning. Watch who you follow. Because, then Jesus adds in verse 40, a disciple, or if you will, a follower, a learner, is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And in that relationship of following someone, the follower cannot grow beyond their teacher. And at the end, the follower is going to be like his or her teacher. And this is another picture that produces a warning from Jesus, which says this, watch who you follow, because whoever you follow, you're going to become like them. You're going to become just like who you're following. I've got to tell you, when I was dragging my feet with God over whether he was actually calling me to the ministry, it was this very point that I struggled with. I was, found myself in a season where I was paralyzed with the fear of the darkness of my own heart and how my dark heart could lead others. But it was by the grace of God that I came to understand that what Jesus is pointing out is that if someone is teaching you from their experience or their own wisdom, you're going to find the limit of that experience. You will find the limit of that wisdom. And you're going to be shaped by that person most certainly. This is the same as true with social media, by the way. You follow Kim Kardashian or, or any of those people, you're going to be shaped by them. And let me tell you, they're not Christ-honoring in any way. But if the teacher doesn't go beyond what Jesus has taught, what is in the Word of God, if the teacher doesn't go beyond to add more than, teach less than, then those that follow, they're invited to see that Christ is the only one who can truly navigate the, the darkness and the wickedness of this world. How? Because Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus makes this point by bringing us back to the subject of judging others. We remember from last week when we were looking in verse 37 that Jesus said, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. This thought is carrying into the text that we're in this morning. And so following this, Jesus goes on to explain further 
the trap that we fall into when we go about judging others. It's what he does in verses 41 and 42 that I know is very small, but I hope you still have your Bible open if you can't read the font on the screen. I put it overhead for our benefit. He's illustrating this even further, this idea of judging. And as these pictures begin to come together, Jesus is warning about following a spiritually blind person. And he's especially warning about thinking too much about your own ability to get things right with God. My friends, do you know what a spiritually blind person always thinks? Do you know? A spiritually blind person always thinks that they can see. They always think that they've got it figured out. Spiritually blind people may think that they know where they're going, but they actually don't. And those who are judging the specks in others' eyes are too blind to see their own faults correctly. That's why right now, as a quick aside, that in light of the fact that we've heard an announcement from our deacon screening and canvassing committee, I hope you haven't spent the last like 40 minutes between that announcement and now making a list of the specks from the eyes of those brothers whom the Lord has brought before us. I hope you haven't. I hope you haven't because they've each expressed a deep sense of call to this. They've each committed themselves to the expectations of serving this church as a deacon. The question is not whether they're sinless. If they were sinless, they wouldn't need to be here because they wouldn't need a Savior. But between today and when we gather on October 8th to vote on them, the question before us is this. We get to discern by the Holy Spirit whether God has in fact called them to be deacons. That's the only question before us right now. It's the only question you'll be answering on October the 8th. And calling us back to Jesus' focus on who we're following... Let's look at the third picture that Jesus paints for us in verse 43. It's the picture of a tree. He says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. See, remember, Jesus still has this issue of judging others in scope here, and he's driving home the importance of looking at the life of those who we've been following. Why do you wonder? Well, Jesus is saying that the fruit that a teacher produces will reflect what is the, at the core of who they are. The fruit of what a teacher produces reflects at the core at, of who they are. See, orange trees, they cannot produce apples, nor can apple trees produce avocados. Likewise, good trees do not bear bad fruit, and bad trees do not bear good fruit. And yet there are so many hearts that want just hard and fast rules to judge whether someone's in or someone's out. They want to find fault in others, but never find any in themselves. Oh, there's grace for me, so sufficient and free, but none for anybody else. And if you're following someone, or if you're a self-made person who's following yourself, and you love to point your finger at others, but you'll never look inwardly, then that's a terrible place to be. Don't leave here and tell the person you wish was here, you know, he was talking about you today. Don't do that, because that's not true. God brought you here, and so he wants me talking to you, not to the people who didn't show. Because Jesus also warns this, what a teacher produces is exactly who they are. Apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produce oranges. What a teacher produces is who they are. Let's do a quick assessment. 
I just, and you don't have to raise a hand, just I'm calling upon various forms of leaders in this church. Calling attention to the ministers in this church. Anybody and everybody who teaches a Bible class, whether it's Sunday morning, Wednesday night. And yes, I'm even calling upon parents too because God has entrusted to you a spiritual responsibility to train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're leading young lives. Calling upon each of you, whether your children are little or grown, because each of these are biblical leadership examples. Now in that calling upon you, I want to ask you, consider your fruit. Now, don't go counting the speck in the eyes of those whom you minister to. That's not what I'm asking you to do. No, what I'm asking you to do is to look reflectively and ask, are these people who I lead, be them my flock? I ask this of myself, by the way. Be them my flock, my class, my children? Are they God-fearing people? Ask yourself that. Because here's a picture that tells some, some truth that some of us may not like to hear this morning. Well, Jesus is going to land in verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What some of us may not be ready to hear is that in the lives we're influencing, the lives that we are leading, be them lives we influence because we're parents, lives we influence because we're Bible teachers, if we don't see God's goodness in their lives, it's because God's goodness is not in us. That's what that scripture says. The fruit we bear and the way we lead others reveals our own spiritual condition. And yet someone says, well, I don't, I don't really get that. I don't, I don't understand that, that. I can't follow that because I, I'm asking a question like, how does this actually reveal my spiritual condition? I've heard the gospel. I've heard the teachings of Jesus. I don't actually find any disagreement with Jesus. I, I'm not in disagreement with his cross. I'm not even in disagreement with what he's taught. I'm, I'm on board with that. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I belong to a church. In other words, the essence of those questions that are on the screen is basically this. What's the problem that you're getting to, Brother Dan? Well, here's the warning that Jesus is actually driving home. It's not enough to hear about, and it's not enough to agree with Jesus and his teachings. My friends, Jesus and his teachings are to be lived out. It's not enough to just agree. It's to be lived out. And this can only be lived out if Jesus Christ has transformed your heart. And he hasn't transformed your heart if you're producing worthless fruit. And if you're producing worthless fruit, you're producing them because you have not believed. Sure, you agree, but you have not believed. And because you have not believed, Jesus is not your Lord. And that's the truth that these pictures reveal to us. And frankly, these pictures must be terrifying for some. It had to be why for those who were listening to Jesus. I mean, why else would verse 46 have been spoken? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you pretend? He hasn't done the work. 
Friends, everything that's before verse 39, you cannot begin to battle a judgmental spirit, which all of us have. You can't begin to battle that if Jesus hasn't transformed your heart by the faith given to you in God's grace. You can't begin to forgive those who have sinned against you. You can't. Neither can you inherit God's kingdom perspectives about wealth and comfort and popularity and fun. You cannot agape love your enemies. This entire chapter that we've been studying, Jesus has been preparing to and has begun to announce his perfect kingdom. He's given to us a a clear description of what the actions and the attitudes and the loves of those who are citizens of his kingdom will look like. And for as radical as all of this is, Jesus isn't calling people to just try to to do better and be better people so that when we stand before the Almighty in eternity and He says, why should I permit you into heaven? We can say, well, I tried my best. He's not calling us to just curb our judgmental nature or to simply kiss and make up or forgive and forget. No, that's not what He's doing. Jesus is saying that the kingdom that he's announcing, the kingdom that he's appointed 12 men to proclaim with the wonderful gospel trumpets that is the word of God, this kingdom rests in him. Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. And these pictures are life-changing and they're truth-revealing because we cannot help but come to see our own spiritual condition when we stand before the king And his kingdom, the way way you live and the way your life affects everyone else, it all comes back to one question. Who's your life been built upon? Who? And if the pictures that have been formulated in your mind that come from the word of God himself is anyone, if the answer to that is anyone but Jesus Christ, you need to repent today. Repent. Turn to Christ. Repent because the life you're leading is a life that is sure to lead to destruction. It's a life that will not withstand what this world's going to send your way, nor it is a life that will carry a hope into eternity. Friends, I would love to, to believe and I pray that each of us here this morning are actually Christian. I pray that. I can't make you one though. I wish I could. It's the, it's, that's a work of the Spirit of God to do. The Holy Spirit can give you the understanding. The Holy Spirit can give you the conviction that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He did it to Peter. That's why we read this. He can do it to you. The Spirit does this by bringing you to faith, to come to trust as you hear the Word of God. My friends, hear this, please. It's not enough to just agree with Jesus. The gospel transforms us. We must be transformed. We must live differently. That is the beginning of the fruit. And this is possible because God so freely gives us what we don't deserve when we believe upon and follow the king, where we believe upon him. That sounds too simplistic, but that's, the, that's it. That's what Jesus is calling to in all of this. His kingdom is otherworldly, but do you believe in me? He asks the question, who do you say I am? My friends, 
Let me exhort you in this. Believe upon this King, this King Jesus. Genuinely kneel before the King and your life and indeed your eternity will be built upon the firmest of foundations. And if you believe or you trust or you follow anyone less than Jesus, if you're even following me and trusting that it's through my salvation that you'll be saved, stop! Seriously! Because you will live a life and have an eternity of ruin. This hope that, that, that only Jesus offers, by the way, is why we as God's people sing. In our singing, we celebrate this gospel of grace that transforms us. I'll tell you, I was ministered to this week by a song that's entitled Firm Foundation. And no, it's not in the hymnal. I'm asking for forgiveness right now. It ministered to me as, as I thought about my life in the sense that so much of my initial story, it's rooted in a lie. A picture given to me that was anything but truth. I love my parents. They provided a roof over my head. And if you flip through this thing, you're going to find I never missed a meal, okay? But yet, for reasons I will never really understand, they, they let me down by laying a foundation of lies and distrust. And I don't know if that relates to you and your story in any way. But I know that you know your story best whether it's a story that you're telling yourself that's a lie or not. And I've got to ask you, who has your life been built upon? I'm asking you because I have witnessed how Jesus has transformed, how he's changed my life. I'm not perfect, but he began a work in me and he is molding me to look more and more like him with each day of life he gives me. And I can't Thank him enough. And I've committed my life to living for him, for living for his kingdom that he is now bringing to earth. And in that, I have cause to celebrate that even when I've realized my parents have lied to me or people I thought I could count as friends have become enemies or whatever it is in this world may try to hit me on the chin with. I can sing with a great confidence as that song goes. Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock upon which I stand. With everything around me shaken, I've never been more glad. I've never been more glad because I put my faith in Jesus. Because he's never let me down. He's faithful through every generation. And the song asks, why would he fail now? I still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. I'm never going under because I'm not held by my own strength. Because I've built my life upon this firm foundation who is Jesus Christ. And because I have, he's never going to let me down. He's faithful through every season. Why would he fail now? And this the chorus goes, he won't. He won't. He won't fail. Jesus Christ cannot fail. Although the cross on the cross he was nailed and he died upon it. By all appearances, it looked as if the, that God had failed in that cross. They thought that, his, that this so-called God-man Jesus 
failed. Oh, he preached about this kingdom. What about now? He's dead. They wrapped his body and they laid him in a tomb and they sealed it. I got to leave you with one final picture. It's a picture that changed the world. And if you believe this, as the scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's just a depiction. <laughs> that changes everything. Who's your life built upon? You can't fail. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.